You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens, you can visit our website at citizensbhm.com. So in the summer of 2008, my wife and I, because of an existing, long existing relationship, we had the privilege to spend three months in Haiti working in a program for, for Mountner's children. And Haiti is a lot different place today than it was then, which is sad. But um, at that time, it was a fairly stable place. You could get around. Um, it was kind of a wonderful place, wonderful, vibrant culture. I love Haitian people. I love Haitian culture. And there was one morning when I woke up, I went down at 5 a.m. to have coffee with Pastor Henry, who, who led the mission that I was a part of. And I had my coffee with him at 5 a.m. And, and as we sip coffee, he says to me, my brother, I would like to take you somewhere. And I said, okay, great. <laughs> Where are we going? He goes, let's get in the truck. I want to take you somewhere. So we began to wind through some mountain roads. We came over a mountain. We go down into a valley. We get into uh, the capital city, Port-au-Prince, a sprawling city. And, and we began to kind of wind our way through a few herds of, of goats and donkeys. And we're making our way to the outskirts of the city. And we get stopped by traffic here and there. And, and it's just kind of going sort of slowly. And Pastor Henry puts his hand on me and says, brother, don't you worry. I'm going to take you somewhere. I said, okay. And we continued to weave our way through these narrow streets of Port-au-Prince, and, and we began to make our way up a hill. And he said, brother, don't you worry, I am taking you somewhere. I said, okay. <laughs> At this point, I'm starting to be like, okay, where are we going? We make our way up a mountain. The streets of Port-au-Prince are a lot like the streets of San Francisco, if you've ever been there, very, very steep. We get to this, to this overlook where we see all of Port-au-Prince, we see all of the beautiful Caribbean Ocean. And, and he says to me, I told you, brother, I took you somewhere. And I say that because in Luke chapter 9, we are going to weave our way through these words, and you're going to have to trust me because I'm going to take you somewhere. We're going to make our way there, and we're going to get there. But it's important to me to tell you right now where we are going to go. See, sometimes when I preach, I have this fear that, that somehow someone will get up and they'll, and they'll kind of miss it. They'll have to go do something, they'll miss it. I don't want you to miss it this morning. Okay, if, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, here's what I want you to hear. Here's where I'm going to take you. It's really simple. Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient supply. Our Lord Jesus, your Lord Jesus, he, in his very person, in his work, is for you, is for me, is for we, an all-sufficient supply. And you might say an all-sufficient supply for what, Joel? And my answer to that would be yes. You name it, he's sufficient. So let's take a look at this scene here, the feeding of the 5,000 and the things that occur before it. This, this story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 is an important story in the Gospels. 
Do you know there's only one miracle story that all four gospel writers record? It's this one. They all tell us about Jesus's death on the cross. They all tell us about Jesus's resurrection, and they all tell us about Jesus feeding the 5,000. So in other words, whatever it is that Jesus is doing in this story is central to everything Jesus is and everything that he's come to do. Now, each gospel writer has a slightly different point of emphasis. In the gospel of Matthew, it's something of a laying out Jesus's resume. He's teaching, he's healing, he's doing miracles, and it's just another one that stacks up in this case that lays out Jesus's, you might call it his resume as Christ and Messiah. In the gospel of Mark, get hints of it here, the emphasis is Jesus's compassion. He sees the crowds, he sees their hungry, and he wants to meet their need. In the gospel of John, it's something of a sign of Jesus's identity because whoever can take created things having to do with the material world, um, fish and loaves, and work with them in such a way to feed a multitude? Like, who is it that we're actually talking about here who can do that? It's gotta be the Christ, sign of Jesus' identity. But in the gospel of Luke, which is our gospel for today, it's really a lesson about discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. Trust me, I'm taking you somewhere here, okay? So look at verses one and following with me. And he called the 12 together. In the gospel of Luke, the disciples are prominent in this story. He called the 12 together. He gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the way this story is set up in the Gospel of Luke is it comes on the heels of Jesus having sent out disciples to further his work. They're going to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. They're going to have power to, to heal. They're going to have power to cast out demons. They're, they have authority and power to do all the things that Jesus is doing. Now, they're sent out um, in verses 3 and following. They're sent out with kind of a raw dependency on Christ. They're supposed to go. They're not supposed to bring supplies with them. They're not supposed to bring food with them. They're supposed to just, in raw dependency, cutting edge work, they're supposed to go and do these things that Jesus has been doing without a lot of resources to do it from. That's the lesson, raw dependency. They're sent out to depend on him in, in deep ways. And in verse 6, we learn that they have some what we might call discipleship success. Look at verse 6. They departed, so he sent them out, and they went. They went through the villages. They're preaching the gospel, and they're healing everywhere. They have some success in what they've been called to do. Now, hold that thought and trust me because I am taking you somewhere, okay? Verses 7 to 9 is an interesting interlude. We're told some things about Herod. 
Now, the reason Herod enters the story in the Gospel of Luke, it's a little bit like a bad omen. If Herod is now involved and curious, that doesn't bode well for both Jesus and his disciples. Luke is telling us something about Herod and about Elijah here to try to align Jesus' ministry with kind of the the ministry of the prophets of Israel. And, And the ministry of the prophets of Israel, by the way, didn't go very well. They would preach, people wouldn't listen. They would be persecuted. And Luke's trying to tell us the same fate awaits Jesus' disciples. But look at what happens here in verse 9. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? Herod's essentially saying, who's this Jesus guy? And the rest of the story is the answer to Herod's question. You're about to see who this Jesus guy is and what he can do. We're about to see how this Jesus guy is an all-sufficient supply. Herod asks the question, Luke supplies the answer. And it begins in verse 10 with a report from the disciples. Look at verse 10. On the return, the apostles told him all they had done. Can you just imagine this? They come back to Jesus and they, they, they essentially get to tell him of their success. Hey, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Jesus is like, yeah, I actually probably will since I know all things, but go ahead. So we went, we proclaimed the kingdom. Uh, we were able to heal people. Like demons, when we spoke, ran away from us. Like it all happened, Jesus. They're reporting to Jesus great ministry success. But here's something really important to remember and to know. Great ministry success, great discipleship success normally comes with deep discipleship lessons afterwards. Whenever, whenever something happens that you've been praying for, whenever you, you go out um, to invite people to, v, to VBS and they come here and, they, and people come to Christ, just know citizens will then be ready for a deep lesson on discipleship. Whenever we experience deep discipleship success, we might say, Jesus likes to give deep discipleship lessons. And he's about to give his disciples one right now. So we're told that they come, they withdraw, the crowds learn that they withdraw, and the crowds follow. Okay, they're probably exhausted, they're probably tired. They've gone out and done ministry, Jesus has been doing ministry. They want to get away, and they're not able to get away because the crowds follow them. Jesus welcomes the crowd, he begins to speak to them, and then look at what happens in verse 12. Now the day began to wear away. In other words, it's it's late in the day. Remember, they're already tired. And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions because we're here in a desolate, desolate place. Isn't it interesting that the disciples are now telling Jesus what to do? And, and that's actually somewhat emphatic in this passage. Hey, by the way, we've been doing all these good things. We're tired. We're tired of all these people. This is a side note. But in 
the work of following Christ as a person, as a church family, and you begin to resent the people you're supposed to minister to, something's off. And by the way, the people will be able to tell. But they're telling Jesus what to do. Hey, you need to send these people away to get food, to have a place to sleep. It's, it's too late. And then here is Jesus ready to provide the lesson in discipleship, verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. You, you go give them something to eat. And, and of course, they're not able to do this, and they, and they know it. They said, uh, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we're here to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so. And he had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. You give them something to eat. We don't have the ability to do that. In the other gospel stories, it becomes more emphatic. We don't even have enough money. We only have 200 denarii. That's not going to be enough. The disciples run up against their inability. They run up against their lack of self-sufficiency. We can't do that, so therefore Jesus does it for them. Now, I'm taking you somewhere here, okay? Jesus, the all-sufficient supply, is going to do it for them. And here's the picture here. Jesus takes the bread, he takes it, and he, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he begins distributing it, distributing it to the disciples. And, and in the original language of this story, it says something like this. Jesus took it, and he kept giving it to the disciples. He kept giving it to the disciples. In other words, the disciples can't carry 5,000 person's worth of, of bread and fish at one time. So they're going to have to give some of it, and then they're going to have to go back and get more of it. Okay, so, so the picture um, literally is something like this. Okay, I'm a disciple. I, I have something I'm called to do right now. I'm unable to do it. Great. I'm going to go over to Jesus and get the thing that I need. And then I'm going to go then give it. Give it. Okay, I'm out of it again. And how many... How many trips do you think it took? For example, for Peter. Peter's self-confident in the gospel stories. He's actually sure of himself. This is not one of his finer qualities. 
Peter often thinks he has it in him. So how many trips do you think it took Peter before he realized? What about John and James? These are the sons of thunder. They're aggressive. They're angry. Sometimes for the right things. How many trips do you think it took them before they realized it? What about Matthew, the accountant? Really good with numbers, really good with money. How many trips do you think it took Matthew before he realized it? How many trips do you think it took Philip before he realized it? How many trips do you think it took Nathaniel before he realized it? How many trips do you think it took Simon the Zealot before he realized it? How many trips do you think it would have taken you before you realized it? Realized what, Joel? This, This simple idea. What I need for them, I'm gonna have to get from him. What I need for them, for it, for whatever it is that I've been called to do, I'm going to have to go get it from him. What I need for them, I have to go get from him. How many times does the disciples have to tell each other, oh, by the way, he's got more. Go back and get some more. What we need for all of these people, we're gonna have to get from Jesus. And and the and the kind of beautiful thing of the whole story in verse 17, they all ate and were all satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. In other words, enough for the crowd and enough for each of them also. In other words, Jesus has more than enough. I'm taking you somewhere, and here it is. You know, I know a handful of you in this room. I cannot possibly know the challenges that are in front of you. I mean, honestly, even tomorrow. I cannot possibly know some of the unique pains and hardships and suffering represented in a room like this today. I cannot possibly know how deeply tired you might be this morning. Some of you are the kind of tired that you know a nap won't fix. I see it in your eyes, and I recognize it because I see it in mine. I can't possibly know the uncertainties that lie ahead. can't possibly know that know the things that are unknown to you. But I am this morning promising you. I'm promising you. I'm promising you that what you need for fill in the blank, you can get from Jesus. And I don't mean Jesus as an idea. I mean Jesus as a person. And I don't mean 
this in the abstract. I mean it in the concrete. I mean Jesus, and I mean him by the power of the Spirit very directly. See, see here's, here's the lie that the disciples would have been tempted to believe. And here is the lie. There's really two of them that you and I are tempted to believe. I know you're tempted to believe this. Number one, for whatever thing lies ahead, that I, those things you thought of when I started talking like that, whatever that is, here's a lie, one lie that you're tempted to believe. I'll give you two. Here's one. One lie you're going to be tempted to believe is you have it in you. And I am telling you, you do not. Now, you are talented people. You're creative. You're musical. You sing well. Somebody's got an eye for graphics. I, that's to say nothing about the good things you do in your career. You're talented people. It's not a knock on you, but I'm telling you, you don't have what it takes. I'm telling you, you don't. You'll be tempted to think you have it in you, and you just don't. But that is okay. And here's why it's okay, because Jesus has it in him. Here's a second lie you'd be tempted to believe. Here's a second lie you'd be tempted to believe. If the first one is, I have it within me, no, you don't. Here's the second lie you'd be tempted to believe. And both of these are lies from the devil, by the way. Second lie, you'd be tempted to think he is going to run out. That's kind of what the disciples think. Go, Go send these people away. You've been doing ministry all day. We're tired. You're tired. You've been speaking. You've been healing. You're probably out of gas. See, see, that's what we're tempted to think, right? We're tempted to think that, that, that Jesus will somehow run out. And what I'm here to tell you is he will not. Because Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient supply. So what do you need? Let's say these, these, this shame that hangs over you. Do you know that Jesus Christ in his person has borne that for you? There's a reason why Jesus was stripped naked and publicly killed and humiliated in the process because he needs to know what it's like to feel total shame. And he has borne that in his body, the scriptures teach us, for you. If you need shame to be lifted, he's got it. What about just that sense of cleansing you feel like you need. I've never met anybody at the end of the day. I've been a pastor in some shape, form, or fashion for about 18 years. I've never met anybody before who didn't deep, deep down want to be clean. What I'm telling you, his blood can make the foulest clean. And his blood availed for you and me. You need cleansing? He's got it. You need forgiveness? He has purchased it for you on the cross. You need forgiveness? You need the guilt to be lifted. He has it. You need healing. He's got it. You need wisdom. He is wisdom in his person. He's the wisdom of God. You need hope. A sure and steady anchor is our Lord Jesus. You need strength. The most powerful person in the whole universe is also the most kind. And his strength will always be most prominent 
in your place of weakness. If you like to be strong all the time, congratulations, you won't get Jesus' strength. And trust me, you're going to want Jesus' strength, and he will give it. What you need for whatever it is he's called you to, you get from Christ. Luke tells us that Jesus Christ is an all-sufficient supply. Would you turn to him this morning?